This podcast is supported by Apollo Global Management. Ensuring a brighter, bolder future means investing in tomorrow, today. That's why Apollo is financing solutions to some of the world's most complex challenges. Learn more at Apollo.com. Hello and welcome to At Barron's. I'm Andy Serwer. And welcome to our guest, Kathy Wood, founder and CEO of ARC Investment Management. Kathy, nice to see you. Great to see you, Andy. It's been a while. It has, but a lot of stuff been going on, so I want to get right to it. I want to start off with some kind of big picture macro questions and then talk more about specific holdings. It seems like right now, over the past few years, we've been in, in this era of groups of stocks. You've got FANG and now the Magnificent Seven, and they seem to kind of come and go quickly. What, what's your take on all that right now? I can look at it from two angles. One would be a worrying angle, which is the market is narrowing to just a few stocks. And uh, even before my time, there was a period called the Nifty 50, and it was in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, and that was a precursor to a very bad time, uh, the 70s recession and bear market and so forth. Uh, so I understand why technicians and others um, uh, look at a market uh, this way. The other way of looking at this is through our lens today. So if you look at what has happened to ARC after two very difficult years, uh, we don't own most of the Magnificent Seven. We own Tesla in size, uh, but the others uh, either not at all or partial positions in our flagship strategy. And we have been able, through the, through the second quarter, uh, we outperformed uh, even the NASDAQ 100, which is dominated by those uh, those stocks. Now, uh, we're backing and filling now, so uh, we'll see what happens as we uh, enter the end of the year. I think interest rates moving up uh, has uh, given everyone pause, and so they're running back to their benchmarks. But I do think our outperformance in, in the first half uh, and it was significant outperformance, suggested that maybe underneath the market is broadening out. And that's a very healthy sign. Fascinating. You don't think so much top down as much as you do bottoms up though, right? Our process in terms of uh, our investment process, stock selection starts from the top down. Uh, and what we're doing is trying to size how big these new technologies are going to become. Uh, what kind of opportunities are they? Uh, and to do that, we use something called Wright's Law, which is a relative of Moore's Law. Uh, Moore's Law is a function of time every 18 months to two years, uh, same power for half the cost in the semiconductor world. Uh, whereas Wright's Law is a function of units. And it says, for every cumulative doubling in the number of units produced by this new technology, costs will uh, decline at a consistent percentage rate. So that's the learning curve. And we can learn from uh, the cost declines and by observing price elasticity of demand, how quickly this technology is going to scale across sectors and turn into a mass market opportunity. So we certainly have done that with electric vehicles and drive train battery technology and so forth. We were able to get much closer to the right answer there because we had calculated 
that for every cumulative doubling in the number of electric vehicles produced, so one to two, two to four, four to eight, uh, for every cumulative doubling, uh, costs decline 28%. And the total cost of ownership of an electric vehicle now is lower than that of a gas-powered vehicle. And soon the sticker prices will be lower. Uh, so that's an example of costs coming down, units exploding. Last year, uh, electric vehicle units globally were up 60, on the order of 65%, while gas-powered sales were down almost 7%. So massive shift, weak auto market, uh, but definitely playing, playing into the favor of EVs. Yeah, which leads you to your biggest holding, Tesla, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit more. want to ask a few more big picture questions, though, Kathy. You mentioned uh, the performance of ARK Innovation, the ETF, and it went to the moon several years ago, then came back down to earth hard, up year to date strongly, now backed off a little bit with the retreat this month. What do you tell investors and and do you sleep well at night? I mean, this is a roller coaster. Well, uh, we are a great uh, diversification strategy. If you want diversified innovation, uh, we just wrote a paper. Uh, it's on Arc Dash Funds uh, around artificial intelligence and and how the market has rewarded Nvidia and Microsoft and left a lot of other stocks that are probably going to be bigger beneficiaries from this point on uh, than NVIDIA and Microsoft. Uh, those are the stocks we're focused on. Uh, NVIDIA has been primarily hardware historically. Uh, by our estimates, for every dollar of hardware sold uh, around this innovation opportunity, AI, uh, we think the software pull-through will be on the order, it depends on the estimate, but somewhere between $8 and $21 for every $1. Uh, so we think a, the market and investors broadly are overlooking some massive uh, AI opportunities in other stocks, uh, more software-oriented. I want to follow up and ask about NVIDIA, but just one more question about about the fund and, and your work that, you know, people criticize you sometimes, Kathy. And I'm wondering, do you read that stuff? Do you, does it get you down or do you just keep carrying on with your work? So my experience with truly disruptive innovation is uh, the old guard and the old guard are the names that have reached very high levels in many of the benchmarks um, that they dismiss these uh, technologies, which are simply nipping at their heels. Uh, and, uh, you know, we can talk about uh, Zoom, for example, complete dismissal of Zoom as an AI opportunity. And it just reported earnings. Uh, um, and we have some thoughts about that if, you, if you'd like to hear them later. Uh, and so, you know, Microsoft just dominates. There's no way Zoom can... Uh, can go anywhere. Well, I remember uh, Eric Yuan when he started WebEx. Uh, and at that time, Cisco, uh, which nobody could beat Cisco, it, it was being treated like NVIDIA is today. Cisco was developing, I forget how much they cost, maybe a half a million dollars 
these uh, video consoles uh, that would populate an entire room and do what WebEx ultimately did for a much lower price. And of course, Cisco bought WebEx. Well, Eric Yuan founded Zoom, understanding that enterprise communications was going to shift from on-prem hardware centric to the cloud. And you know it is now selling at roughly eight times this year's EBITDA and is a real value stock. Nobody, just wait until they start showing their AI chops. And we think that will start with Zoomtopia in early October. So it's funny now talking, switching over maybe a little bit to stocks. I want to go back to NVIDIA because a lot of people are just discovering that company and they would consider a disruptor, but it sounds like you're almost considering them an incumbent, a legacy company, or is it just a valuation problem? Would you get back into the stock at some point, Kathy? Right. So our we took our initial position when we started the firm and yeah. it, it when it was $5 on, on a split adjusted basis. Uh, and we wrote it all the way up and we still own it in our more uh, specialized portfolios, uh, but at a much lower rate. Why? Because we're very sensitive to valuation, uh, contrary to what many people might think. And according to our estimates and our estimates for NVIDIA are quite aggressive in terms of revenue growth over the next five years. We think they're in a beautiful position with the picks and shovels. Uh, but everyone knows it. Everyone knows it, and it is valued accordingly. So uh, on on this year's revenue, it is somewhere in, let's say, the 25 to 27 times sales range, uh, depending on one's estimate. Um, and we have other names in the portfolio on the software side. And remember, for every dollar of hardware, you know, eight to twenty-one dollars of software are going to be pulled through, according to our estimates. Uh, Tesla is the biggest AI opportunity out there. Uh, it is the biggest artificial intelligence project in the world when it comes to autonomous taxi platforms, and it is selling for uh, roughly, uh, I think it's seven times, maybe it's six times revenues now. Uh, so that's that's a, a very good example. And an even uh, we think that's the best example, but other software plays uh, would include Twilio, which is selling at two to three times Zoom, which is selling at roughly three times sales. These are all sales. Uh, and these companies have uh, either very high uh, gross margins like Zoom, 80%, or they have low gross margins now like Tesla does in the 20s. These are gross uh, margins, but they will be rising because of this SaaS-like model that is evolving for Tesla. They will rise from the 20s into what we believe is the 50s and 60s. Uh, not at all expected out there. Right. A couple of questions about Tesla then, since you just brought it up. Um, one is valuation again, though. I mean, you can be right. Kathy was right. She's right. But, you know, the stock goes nowhere for two years versus the S&P, which is what's happened with Tesla. I mean, OK, you can pick any point and come up with any math you want. I, I, I hear you. 
Also, I, I noticed that you said that market share probably is going to hold constant. It's just that the number of the EV sales are going to explode, which will drive their business. Either of those things sort of concern you or are you still as sanguine about this company as you've ever been? If anything, their competitive advantages are growing. You've noticed that GM and Ford have signed on to uh, uh, Tesla's charging station. They need that infrastructure. And that has increased our confidence, the fact that GM and Ford and others are signing on to this uh, charging platform tells us that these companies understand that the world is shifting from the internal combustion engine, which still is roughly 90% of auto sales out there, to electric vehicles. Well, Tesla does not have to transition. It is there. Uh, it, it has that DNA already. And then even more important from a valuation point of view, uh, we believe Tesla is the closest auto company and closest tech company to uh, a fully commercialized national autonomous taxi platform. I know it sounds crazy, but if you are a Tesla driver and you have gotten the latest uh, FSD, so full self-driving update in the beta, uh, you will see a marked difference because of the breakthroughs in artificial intelligence that Tesla is using today in order to move towards full uh, self-driving. Right. With with self-driving, question there, Kathy. Um, we all know that the number of deaths caused by human error is, you know, 100, 1,000x versus driverless. And yet the driverless death is going to get all the headlines and freak people out. So when will Americans or globally people get over that and be able to sort of just be dispassionate about the numbers rather than robot killed person kind yes. of thing? Yes, uh, th there is a lot of emotion. You know, th there's a lot of behavioral science in terms of what goes in in the marketplace. Uh, and we went through this with Tesla. So uh, there are 45,000 uh, deaths uh, caused by auto accidents in the US and somewhere between one and 1.25 million globally. 80 to 90% of those are caused by human error. Uh, so with Tesla, it was very interesting. Out of the 45,000 accidents that kill people, um, only Teslas seem to be featured as national news. Uh, and, and there were very few of those, but every single one of them was publicized. And uh, it, it, But truth wins out, and that's our philosophy. Do the research. If you're right, uh, then maybe the National Highway Transportation Safety Association will make the point that 80 to 90% of human deaths in autos are caused by human error. Uh, and they have done that. In fact, uh, when they analyzed Tesla's first fatality, it was in Florida and it was a blindside by a truck. Uh, and they, it took them six months, I think, to analyze it. But they basically came back and said, 
Oh, it seems as though uh, given the safety features in a Tesla, Tesla's cars are are 40% safer than uh, most other cars out there. And that was it became a selling point for Tesla for people who actually read these safety reports. So truth wins out. This podcast is supported by Apollo Global Management. As one of the world's largest alternative asset managers, Apollo is generating investment-grade credit, providing greater access to more resilient and diverse pools of capital, and helping to fill gaps in America's financial ecosystem. Learn more at Apollo.com slash private credit. You mentioned that Tesla's kind of a lightning rod. And and to be perfectly frank, Kathy, I mean, some of that has to do with Elon. And and that's a risk. I mean, are you concerned, one, about Elon's foray into Twitter and two, his behavior generally? Um, And we've had to uh, face this issue since we bought Tesla, which was the day ARC opened its first funds in 2014. And, um, you know, back then and in 2015, I remember first talking about him when we had the opportunity to be in the media. And I said, you know, he's our Thomas Edison. He is, uh, uh, you know, our age's inventor and inventors. If you study what they invented historically, if you go back to the Renaissance man, if you go back to um, uh, Copernicus, who's I put him down as one of my favorite inventors because uh, he um, he argued with Ptolemy about what was the center of the universe, the earth or the sun. And Copernicus said the sun and all the physics then matched what he was observing. Uh, he was an inventor of many things. I think Elon is that inventor today here in, in the world. And I have watched him surround himself by incredible professionals, very talented engineering uh, teams. Uh, and they work for him for for less pay, perhaps, than they might get elsewhere because he is solving the world's hardest problems, including, I would say, Twitter, now X, you know, the controversy over censorship versus not, and just opening up the algorithms, letting everybody see how uh, how they're evolving Twitter into a, a, a healthier platform, the world's public square, public town square. So uh, he wants to solve the hardest problems in the world. And thank God he does. Yeah, well, it ain't easy. Um, and and you don't necessarily succeed every time either. I think we'd all acknowledge that. It's a it's a portfolio uh, business, right? Yes. And just to pick up on that, uh, if you look at what Elon has done with SpaceX and rockets and and reusable rockets, so being able to land them on barges in the ocean simultaneously, that's amazing. But do you know how many times he had to fail? to get that to work. And now we're in the artificial intelligence age. And that that is the that's the same is true uh, with everything AI. It'll be, it'll get better and better over time, but it will be wrong in the beginning. Uh, not until it perfects with more information uh, will it get it completely right. 
We have so many stocks to talk about and not so much time. So you mentioned Twilio, you mentioned Zoom. What about Roku? That's a big holding of yours. What's the thesis there, Kathy? Yes, well, it is uh, the TV operating system. So you'll remember in the day, uh, cable dominated, right? But it was very much regional. Um, well, this is uh, the TV operating system for the U.S. Not This is not regional. And many people get confused when they hear Roku. Uh, they think uh, of hardware, which not very attractive business tends to be commoditized. That's not what Roku is. Uh, or they think of uh, competition. Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, so forth. And that's where the big error is. Uh, Roku is hosting all of them. It is the platform hosting them. And uh, it is growing in market share yearly. Uh, the advertising environment has obfuscated what's going on here. Uh, most of its revenue is uh, is advertising based um, and advertising is in a recession. But if you take a look at what happens during recessions, the new way of doing things gains massive share. Uh, and we saw that last year um, and even in the last quarter, I'll use the last quarter, those numbers are fresher in my mind. Uh, but uh, Roku's revenue surprised on the upside up 11%. In a scatter market, which is its primary advertising market, sort of the spot market, uh, that was down quite significantly uh, in the teens, I think. Uh, and so it's taking massive share, and that gives us increased confidence. Nonetheless, because many, I'll say, old-time media analysts are very focused on the cable companies and the broadcasting companies and what they've grown up with, this is highly disruptive to them. And this is what I mean by truly disruptive innovation and the old guard. It's not just the old companies. It's, and I'm not calling the analysts old, but the analysts who grew up on these old companies and are used to those models and to that DNA are finding it difficult especially given what they hear from those companies, finding it difficult to migrate to this new world. They're beginning, they're beginning to migrate uh, because again, truth wins out and, uh, and the share gains are you know, undeniable now. Coinbase is one of your largest positions. What is the best way, Kathy, for the US government to regulate crypto, number one, and number two, do you foresee the demise of fiat currency and how risky would that be? Okay, uh, so in terms of regulation, um, what has been happening is the SEC has been really ruling by enforcement actions. Uh, and uh, that's not a very healthy way uh, of doing this. So uh, what's, what is happening now is the judicial system and the legislative system are coming into play. That's what's great about the American system. You have the three branches of government. And of course, Gary Gensler was appointed by, uh, by the president, had to be approved by the Senate, but um, still I think of it as an executive appointment. And now we've got the court saying, okay, uh, the SEC is overstepping its bounds. 
And we've got the legislative branch. This will become an, uh, an election year issue, crypto, uh, coming through with bipartisan support, interestingly. Uh, not, not perfect, but you, we have Democrats and Republicans uh, together on these bills coming through, bills around uh, stable coins and market structure and so forth. This is a new asset class, and this is what we need to happen. It's what happened, believe it or not, with derivatives. And there were court cases around derivatives that went to the Supreme Court. And we do believe Coinbase's uh, uh, suit with the SEC or the SEC's suit uh, against Coinbase uh, will go on appeal to the Supreme Court ultimately. So I think uh, the judicial system, legislative system uh, will balance this executive um, branch uh, ruling by enforcement, which is not healthy for us. We're losing uh, a lot of innovators to other countries. Uh, and uh, that's unfortunate because the US DNA is all about innovation. And when you think about crypto and uh, we should call it uh, um, the internet financial system, let's call it that instead of DeFi or decentralized finance, DeFi sounds defiant. But if we use semant better semantics like internet financial system, what that is telling us is the internet was built out without that financial system. Nobody knew commerce uh, or financial services were going to take place on the internet. In fact, no one would put their credit card on the internet, if you'll remember. Now, of course, uh, that is not true. And so this is the layer of the internet that the engineers skipped in the early days. And now we're just introducing it. Uh, and it's going to collapse the cost of financial transactions. If you look at financial transactions today to go from merchant to consumer, there are seven intermediate intermediate steps. All of those are toll takers. Uh, and, and this could collapse to peer to peer or just one intermediary like a digital wallet, like Cash App, for example. Uh, but it's going to take a lot of costs out of the system, which is what technology does. Right. Final question, Kathy. How do you think about your future and the future of ARC and your company? What are your plans? Do you think along those lines? Oh, sure. We, uh, we're very excited about the future. We do think there's a pendulum shift brewing back from passive or benchmark sensitive. And to us, there's not much difference between those two to truly active management. And I think we began to see it in the first half before interest rates lifted here again. Uh, and we do think interest rates are going to come down because we think deflation is the bigger risk, not inflation out there. Um, but we were happy to see the broadening out of uh, uh, the market when it came to innovation. Love that. Uh, we have um, big plans. We we said it when when uh, we started ARC, we want to own innovation. That sounded very bold. And in the public markets, if you think about it, when people think about disruptive innovation, they do think about ARC. Now we're moving into the private markets with a venture fund, which we started late last year. We're democratizing venture capital. That's what our clients have been asking us to do. Uh, and so you'll find Arc Venture on the Titan app. 
so we are moving, we not only have a social media and a social marketing strategy, but now a social distribution strategy. You can buy Arc Venture on, um, on the Titan app and we're getting access to deals, to company uh, opportunities that many institutions and foundations are not getting. Uh, and that's because of our go-to-market strategy and the desire of venture, many venture capitalists to participate in this democ democratization movement because it helps their companies. It, it uh, gives them more visibility and it helps them attract more talent. So really excited about that. And then in the crypto world, uh, we uh, have a, a number of strategies brewing uh, and uh, very excited uh, about how they will scale, especially as regulation evolves uh, and 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 gives institutions more certainty that this new asset class, which is very little correlation to other asset classes, uh, has a place in their portfolios. So venture crypto, but we think the low-hanging fruit is in the public markets as we move back from passive towards uh, active as disruptive innovation disrupts the traditional world order. And the closing comment here, Andy, is we believe that truly disruptive uh, innovation is valued in the public and private equity markets at roughly $15 trillion today. We think that's going to scale to 200 trillion by 2030. So that's uh, almost a 40% compound annual rate of return for the, for the innovations themselves. And it is our jobs to pick our spots and uh, and give our clients exposure to some of the most amazing opportunities in innovation history. All righty, sounds like a lot in the works. Kathy Wood, founder and CEO of ARK Investment Management. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Andy. Great to be with you. The production team for At Barron's is Elias Miladu, Rebecca Bisdale, Kinga Rojak, Joe Lusby, and Laura Salaberry. The executive producers are Kristen Bellstrom and Melissa Haggerty. We'll be back with a new episode next week. This podcast is supported by Apollo Global Management. By providing companies with access to flexible financing solutions and partnering with management teams, Apollo is there every step of the way to drive positive outcomes for businesses and power economic growth. Learn more at Apollo.com.